good afternoon, everybody. It's Chris here from the Wissestop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And I am also a frequent contributor and host to the Alberta Prosperity Project, including their webinars, which you're seeing tonight. So before we get into the webinar, uh, I just wanted to touch base on something really quick. There's been some folks that have asked me, why, Chris, do you do webinars for Alberta Prosperity Project? Why don't you do something else? Why don't you run for politics? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And uh, I'm not going to answer the second part of that, but I'll answer the first part, which is why do I do this for the Alberta Prosperity Project? The reason is, while there are a lot of uh, political avenues being pursued by other people right now, there's lots of different groups out there. Uh, there's lots of individuals who have their own path to fix certain things within our province and uh, in turn our country. I've come to realize that the only way that Alberta is ever going to actually fix herself is if Alberta stands up for herself. And as, as strange as that sounds, uh, sometimes the reality is somebody has to stand up and say enough is enough in the face of, you know, a terrible path, be it tyrannical or oppressive or, you know, economically destructive or whatever. Somebody has to stand up and say enough. And I believe that somebody is Alberta. I believe those somebodies are Albertans. So that's why I continue to do webinars and events for the Alberta Prosperity Project, because out of all the things that are going on, what, what the APP is talking about, what the APP's vision is and what we want to do is, in my humble opinion, the only true path to freedom and prosperity for this province. And, believe it or not, the only path to prosperity for this country. So, um, I'm honored to be able to do this type of thing. And uh, I hope that our webinars reach more and more people every day, which they may, because uh, even though, you know, we've had a little bit of slow times over the last little while, things are still moving along for APP. Uh, we still get a few members sign on every day. And if you are one of the previous members who hasn't renewed your membership yet, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, you might've let your membership lapse because Maybe you didn't agree with one part or you didn't agree with one person or whatever. But the, you know, the truth is, if we're willing to sacrifice a true solution for this province because of our inability to get along with one or two people, I think that says more about us than those who are fighting. So please uh, get your membership. If you haven't, if you've let your membership lapse, please renew it. It's not a lot of money. You probably lose more money than that in your car seats when you get in and out with change in your pockets. I know I do. Although last time I was at Superstore, I could find toonies and quarters, but no loonies. But anyway, Murphy's Law. So get your membership. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us. Tonight's webinar is entitled Wexit the Reluctant Rebellion with Jillian Davis. Now, I have a uh, short bio that I'm going to read to fill you in on who Jillian Davis is and why we have her on our webinar. And all will become clear in however long it takes me to read this. So, Jillian Davis is a professional writer and author, born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, but raised in Northern Alberta. She was born with a passion for storytelling. She embarked on a remarkable journey that led her from the aisles of retail to the world of professional writing. For the majority of her career, Davis honed her skills in the retail sales industry. However, over a decade ago, she made a bold decision to follow her true calling as a writer. 
Since then, she's enthusiastically pursued her craft and political commentary chops on various podcasts, captivating audiences with her unique perspective, humor, and compelling narratives. She's also a frequent guest contributor on Diverge Media. Recently, Davis expanded her creative pursuits beyond the realm of books. She ventured into the world of film, co-writing a thought-provoking short film currently in post-production. Currently, she's engrossed in a documentary project alongside Diverge, Diverge Media, exploring the intriguing story of the Freedom Convoy, a journey that promises to shed light on the voices of resistance, determination, and concerns of political interference and manipulation. In addition to her ongoing documentary project, Davis is also dedicated to revising and enhancing her popular book, Wexit, The Reluctant Rebellion. Building upon the successes of the first edition, she aspires to release a second edition and documentary film that delves deeper into the complex dynamics of the Western sovereignty movement. Davis's work embodies a passionate dedication to storytelling, encompassing themes of resilience, identity, and the pursuit of freedom. Through her writing, speaking, and film projects, she seeks to challenge conventional narratives and amplify the voices that often go unheard. With her unwavering to commitment to uh, unwavering commitment to her craft, Jillian Davis continues to leave an incredible mark on the literary, political, and cinematic landscapes. So, without further ado, please welcome Jillian Davis to the Alberta Prosperity Project webinar entitled Wexit, The Reluctant Rebellion. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> you make me sound so impressive. I like it. <laughs> well, you know, I just I just read what was there, but uh, I was impressed by what I read, and uh, I kind of I saw a lot of similarities between something that I like to do now that I never thought I'd do, and what you're doing, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here with you. So, with what I just said, with how I introduced you, do you want to elaborate on any of that? What part of northern Alberta did you grow up in? Primarily Edmonton, but I've lived as far north as Berwyn, which is up in the Peace Country. Mm -hmm. So I, I love Alberta. Alberta has, there's a certain spirit, sort of a, an attitude here that is very independent and freedom loving and accepting of anybody, you know, just come work, do good things and we'll take you, you know, um, so some of the things that are said about Albertans outside of Alberta and those places shall remain nameless <laughs> are so completely wrong. And it just, it's frustrating that they don't know us better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I hope that through these webinars, people, you know, slowly but surely will start to open their eyes that uh, Alberta isn't just a bunch of, you know, bunch of dumb racist rednecks as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would have us believe. Uh, there's there's real people with real issues and real solutions, and uh, you know it's we're we're just like anybody else in the world. And it kind of it's interesting that you lived in Northern Ireland, because as far as I know, the Emerald Isle has always had a little bit of a uh, independence movement, and quite a quite a different one than we see here in Alberta. It's been quite violent at, at times, but. Do you, do you see any do you see any uh, similarities between the independence movement in in Ireland and what we're doing in Alberta here? Well, Ireland is kind of a, an interesting place um, for so many reasons, and and I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which is where sort of the the heartland of the troubles were before yeah. the peace agreement happened. Um, now, 
Ireland is sort of a battleground for the EU and the UK, which is interesting as well, because it's like, don't, don't mess with those people because they get violent. Like, just, just don't be playing. But um, yeah, whenever I was a little girl and we used to, because I was a baby whenever we immigrated to Canada and I used to go over as a little girl and I would see um, to go downtown Belfast, there were these massive metal doors and the soldiers would come and they'd search, like they'd have the mirrors under the bus and they'd come onto the bus and check everybody's bag and, and all of those kinds of things. So I've seen what it looks like to live in a police state um, because that's all you can call it is a police state at that time. Um, over time, because of the peace agreement and, and various things, those things loosened. But as a teenager, whenever I was 14, my parents divorced. Um, and that was just like prime time for the issues in Alberta. Um, my dad lost his business, in fact, at that time. And my mom took me back to um, Northern Ireland. So I lived there as a teenager. And so I was exposed to the differences between living in a place that has huge divisive issues compared to what Canada was then, which was this great kind of, um, it was kind of like a tapestry of all these different cultures and ideas and thoughts. And we all just got along. It was just, you know, be here, work, do good things, and we'll all get along. I always thought of Canada in that kind of a perspective of being the example to the world. Because we did just, you know, it didn't matter what your skin color was, what your religion was, any of those things. It just mattered that you were a good person. Or in the words of, of Martin Luther King, the content of your character meant more than any other arbitrary thing. And that was the beauty of Canada. And that's all starting to change. And it's scary. Yeah, you know, I I still see that somewhat. But on, on the world stage where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants Canada to be, wants to, he wants to be, the world doesn't look at us like that anymore. I mean, I've had conversations with countless new Canadians or even newish Canadians, and they say, like, what the heck? We moved here to get away from this, and it's here, and Canadians are basically just serving it up on a silver platter, not doing anything about it. They're mad. They're, they're, they're actually angry that the place in the world that was supposed to be the beacon of hope and freedom is slowly slipping into what they'd left behind. So, you know, this, the idea of uh, independence in different regions or jurisdictions within a larger collective is not new. And it's not, it's, it's not just Alberta. There, there's dozens of regions in different countries across the world that are seeking independence from their, you know, the, the overarching country or whatever because their regional differences that they have just aren't allowing them to live free the way they want to live. And so there, so there's these independence movements and Ireland is one of them. Uh, Scotland is another one in, um, in Holland, they have a movement called Nexit. They want out of the EU. And this is all in a time where our governments and bureaucrats are screaming globalism from the rooftops, right? Like, they don't even think it's enough that Canada is a country. I mean, they want, Trudeau wants Canada to be the first post-nation state and give up our sovereignty completely to an even greater overarching entity. And uh, I don't want to have any any of it. So let, let's talk Wexit here because, I mean, it's it's in the title and everything. <laughs> you wrote a book about Wexit, so I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that you're very knowledgeable on the subject. I'm somewhat knowledgeable on the subject. 
right? enough that I know the history. I know the issues. I mean, I grew up in Alberta. Like I said, my father was a businessman throughout the 80s whenever Pierre Elliott Trudeau's horrible policies came through and destroyed his and many other businesses. Families were destroyed because of it. I mean, there's so much fallout that comes from that. And I mean, on, on your point about Trudeau and his post-national state, we already have seen that he completely ignores democracy. And we've seen that so recently with what I can only call the China crisis, which is the, um, the, the rapporteur that's supposed to be looking into all of these potential corruptions and interferences in our democracy. The House has voted, I think, twice now to have this man removed. And it, there's polls saying that Canadians don't trust him. And yet Trudeau just keeps pushing that through and will, it's just ignoring everybody and ignoring democracy. And my big thing that I keep bringing up is that if the Aga Khan years ago now, seems like yesterday, but it was only, it, it was a few years back, the Aga Khan, that friendship was a conflict of interest. How is David Johnson not a conflict of interest? And when we see those kinds of things happening on the federal level, then what hope does any province have in having their voices heard? Well, and, and the, when, when you're ahead. the supreme leader, people's voices don't matter because you're the supreme leader. Right? Yeah, and, and that's how he sees himself. And that was very, I mean, it was so blatantly obvious with the, the convoy where, I mean, he brings in the EA for a peaceful protest. And what what's the, really the tragedy in the whole thing was that the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, who I like to call a cheap knockoff of a cheap knockoff, had the audacity to ignore what was essentially a workers' movement and call them all kinds of names. So he has obliterated any point for the NDP, which is supposed to be a labor party. Well, it's difficult for him to obliterate that support because it's almost a forced support. And I mean, and, and I'm not talking forced like, you know, like Teamsters type thing, but forced like an email saying, hey, if you don't vote for these guys, you're not getting a raise. You know, very thinly veiled threats from unions that are encouraging union members to support whichever political party is going to give the union bosses, you know, nice, cushy jobs with big pensions and whatnot. But uh, anyway, I guess that's a, that's probably a different conversation. But it, it is one of the reasons why it's important that the provinces are able to exercise their sovereign jurisdiction in each and every area that the Constitution gives us um, uh, gives us leave to do so. You know, because if if the Constitution was honored as it's written, and the provinces could do all the things they want to do without interference from the federal government because after all, this is a confederation, which is against federation, not a federation, we'd be okay, but it, that's not the case. And a really good example, um, and I, after I mention this, we'll roll right back to 1982. Uh, a good example is the, uh, the climate crisis, right? The federal government is responsible for climate. The, the, the portfolio, I believe, is called uh, uh, Minister of the Environment and Climate Change now. So they're saying, well, because climate change, Alberta, you can't develop your natural resources. Well, that's unconstitutional. And if they weren't doing that, we wouldn't have these conversations. We wouldn't have to do these things, but, but that's kind of where it's going. Is that, um, you know, looking back to when 
the, the Wexit idea or even the Western Canada concept idea started into play, is that kind of the root cause of these, the federal government just interfering where they don't belong? Most definitely. And I mean, this it, it has been historic since um, Alberta and Saskatchewan became provinces. It has been historically fought over for years. And you can go back to um, uh, Brownlee in the 1930s, who fought for us to be able to have ownership over our resources. And that helped other provinces get their, their ownership over their resources as well. It helped Quebec to get um, more control over theirs. Then you fast forward to Ernest Manning, not Preston, but Ernest, who fought against um, the government trying to come in and, and take control of resources again. I think that was the 1960s. And then Peter Lougheed fighting against some of the stuff that was in that 1982 constitution so that it would protect us. And it just, it's just over and over and over again, and it never stops. And now, I mean, climate, this climate crisis is an excuse for everything. It's, it's an excuse to throw out human rights. It's a, a, an excuse to throw out the Constitution, major parts of the Constitution. It's, it's just an excuse for everything. It solves every problem that the federal government has in regards to being able to take over and force their control over what should be provincial jurisdiction. And they're doubling down on that now. And it's not just climate now, it's health. So health, so they, administration they got away health with is it During the pandemic. They got away with so much during the pandemic. They're just continuing to do it. Yeah. They used every single uh, tool in their toolbox to take more sovereignty from provinces. For instance, um, provinces administer health. It is not the federal government's job to advise us on health to tell us what we should be doing, to encourage lockdowns or discourage them or any of that. They're supposed to provide money for infrastructure. The provinces are supposed to administer their own health care. And yet we had the federal government saying, well, you know what, you need this medical intervention, otherwise you can't go on an airplane. Well, wait a minute, that's unconstitutional because we have mobility rights in this country and we're not to be discriminated against and we're supposed to be equal under the law, before under the law. So you can't do that. But ah, uh, they can because uh, air travel and trains is federally regulated. So you, you see, they, they have this funny way of stripping away the rights and freedoms that the provinces are supposed to have, all the while claiming that it's for the better good, but it's not. You know, all, it, it's a power grab from a government that has always wished we were a federation, always wished we had a national government. And we're seeing it accelerate now, even with health. With health, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Dr. Teresa Tam, she actually... She uh, made a correlation between health and climate change. So now climate change is the most devastating impact on the health of Canadians. So they've, they've muddied the waters some more because the federal government's responsible for environment and climate. But now they've got their fingers in health. And I don't know, I don't know if you saw that speech, but she also um, blamed things like heteronormativity on or climate change, on heteronormativity, on racism, on ableism, on all sorts of other isms that have literally nothing to do with the, the, the climate. So knowing those things, wh where did this idea, where did this idea of leaving confederation or at least standing up for ourselves to get a better deal, where did that come from? Where did Wexit, where was it born? Well, the, the Wexit move it, movement in particular started I mean, it started before the election in 2019, but at that time, 
um, I think I was a member of like their Facebook group and, and their Facebook page had maybe a thousand or so members. It was very small. And after that election, it blew up overnight. I remember I think that. it was like I, I had gone to bed that night and the next morning and my phone had kept pinging because I had family members and friends from right across the country, like telling me I should join this group, which I was already a member of. But it was thousands of people all of a sudden went, no, no more, no more. And I mean, at that time, it was Trudeau had already suffered a bunch of scandals and it was an incomprehensible that he should be able to win another election. And he's won two since, which is just mind blowing. I can't understand why people in other provinces don't see the huge problem with this man, but they just, it seems like a lot of them are so afraid of the conservative party that they would rather vote liberal without seeing how dangerous the liberal party has been for Canada and how much it is really splintering Canada. So it, it was that election in particular that really poured gas on, on that already smoldering flame. So that flame has been around for decades. I mean, yeah. uh, at the Alberta Prosperity Project events, we often talk about uh, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau's, uh, his political tenure, uh, you know, the Alberta salute and the National Energy Program, um, you know, the la language laws, all sorts of things that alienated Western provinces, not just Alberta, right? This is, Wexit is not just Alberta, folks. That This is... Uh, uh, part of Manitoba, I think they're they're kind of mm -hmm. on the fence. Uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. Ever yeah, since this country has been a country, we've gotten the 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 dare I say the shit end of the stick on this deal. We have so, the prairie provinces are treated differently than any other province in this country and have been since its inception. How and, so? and I cover all of those details in the book. What's the what's the most glaring problem uh, we have that 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 tips the scales in in central and eastern Canada's favor? Well, I mean, the big thing is that we don't have the same amount of because we don't have the same number of seats or or even close to it. We have no say in the west of of Canada. I mean, as a, a kid, I remember hearing that you know the the vote would start and by the time federally this is of course and by the time it hit somewhere in manitoba it was over we had our voices meant nothing really and i mean yes we have representatives in the house but what good does that do we even have the the conservative party i think the last three two to three elections have won the popular vote but because we don't have the seats here we have no control. We have no real say. We can be outvoted in an instance. And, and that same thing goes for the, the Conservative Party itself, because whenever it was being formed out of the Reform Party, it was actually Peter McKay that insisted in the point system for, for voting for the, the leadership, which meant that you could have a riding in Calgary Nose Hill who, that had like 10,000 members and one in... I don't know, uh, Vaughn in Toronto. And that one has, you know, maybe a hundred members. And those people in Vaughn could outvote the 10,000 in Calgary Nose Hill. And this right, is the because it's the, it's the seat in the house. Exactly. 
So there so, is a question up about that. It says, isn't the basis of democracy representation by population? And you would think so, but in Canada in particular, we are, the provinces have, under the constitution, they have different rules for how many uh, people, like how many seats we get. For I think Alberta uh, is 144,000 people per MP. In um, Ontario, I think it's 111,000 or something, like considerably less. So it is supposed to be representation by population, but the population is rep represented by individuals occupying a seat in parliament. And it is certainly not balanced. So you would, I, I would say that Alberta has considerable taxation without adequate representation in this province. And that, I think, was... That was the main point that started this entire thing. And uh, I believe it happened right around, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s with the National Energy Program and, and Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Interesting that his son is trying to finish it off. But, but that's the problem in this country. The Western provinces do not have a voice. The last election, we all were blue. The entire country up to Manitoba was blue. And then it didn't matter. So we have to go where... Um, the Liberals and Eastern Canada wants us to go. And I don't want to go there because it's not prosperous. So most of the West probably shares these sentiments to some degree. If Wexit blew up the way it did, all and, and it was literally overnight. I remember watching that Facebook page. It was wild. Um, why are we not independent? Why did that not bear fruit? What happened? Well, that's why the name of the book is The Reluctant Rebellion. It, it, there's a lot of people that are reluctant to leave Canada because they love this country. They love what this country stands for in the mythology that is Canada. Um, so it's hard for them to see separation. Some of them don't understand how that would work, what it would look like, Um so, I mean, for me, the whole thing is, or the thing that, that needs to be really um, put into place before we start really getting into separation, like the, the pulling the plug sort of um, speaking points is, we need to make sure that people know what that will look like. Now, I have to go back to the 1995 Quebec referendum. At that time, um, Jacques Perizot had a lot of those things in place, ready to go as soon as they left Canada. And we need to do the same kind of things here so that those people who are on the fence, those people who are reluctant, have that sense of security. So the, the things that were in the roundtable um, discussions, which was just whenever Kenny first was elected four years ago, um, about having a provincial police force, we need to put that in Firewall. Place. Yeah, it, it, well, firewall with Stephen Harper stuff <laughs> way back in what was that, the 90s. Um, yeah. We need to put these things in place so that people know that if we were to separate, that they would have their pensions, they would have that security, they'd have the police force, they'd have um, all of the things that they have right now, and maybe even better. But those that sort of infrastructure needs to be put in place so that they have that security. Otherwise, they're going to continue to be reluctant. And that's the thing. Wexit could only reach those people who are really pissed off. It couldn't right. get to those people who are not, you know, they're upset. They're not happy with what's going on. But separation just seems like a bridge too far because how, how do we do that? 
And, and there are some really great things that are being considered and thought of. Danielle Smith is probably our best hope right now. And, and I said, like, if she gets elected, which of course she did, thank goodness, um, she's not just our best hope in Alberta. She gives Scott Moe the backing so that he can stand his ground as yes. well. Yep. And, and that continues out from there. It blossoms out like a mushroom. She is the best hope for all of Canada and what we stand for as Canadians and that Canadian, that true Canadian identity. So I agree with you. When I watched the Wexit thing unfold, I was also very, very angry. Um, now I somehow mirac miraculously got through most of that without losing my job as an oil field consultant. Um, but I was so mad because the policies that uh, Trudeau was bringing out were, you know, they, they reminded me of what I read about the national energy policy. And I would see a policy come out like the carbon tax, for instance, and, and, and things would change. It would feel different. Your work environment was different. Um, then Notley was elected and Calgary, basically everybody moved out. Like all the offices were empty. They were giving office space for free so that they could pay the utilities on the building. It was insane. I watched this unfold and I was angry. And that's exactly why I don't believe Wexit was successful. I believe Wexit wasn't successful was because it was from a place of anger. So mm -hmm. the, the things you're describing, I, I agree completely. Something out of anger isn't going to change the world, right? So yeah. I'm hoping that we have some sort of a, educational organization in Alberta that actually takes the time to get some truth out to people and travels around the province and does events and tells people these things like talks about what parts of the constitution allow us to be sovereign in certain areas. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, have you ever heard of the Alberta prosperity project? That's what we've been doing. That's what this is all about. That's what we want to do. We want to prepare people's, not just their minds, but their hearts for the idea of independence. Because like you said, there's a lot of things we have to do. And um, folks, for those of you that are watching, if you go on the Alberta Prosperity Project website, which is www.albertaprosperityproject.com, um, you can go in the, the Q&A, I believe it is, or the Frequently Asked Questions or whatever. Walter, if you can put something up there, put a link or something. You can find answers to a lot of these things like, oh, what will happen to my CPP? What will happen to my EI? What will happen to this? What will happen to that? You know, this isn't just a hey, I'm so angry, let's leave. This is a, we identify there's a problem. We're not going to fix it federally and we need to work towards a solution. So let's do it. Um, what are some of the good ideas that came out of Wexit? <laughs> I think the good ideas that came out of Wexit in particular are, I think it was sort of learning what isn't working. So being able to really, concretize the um, the issues and figure out, okay, so what then can we do about it? And, and that's where we pull back sovereignty. Um, and, and I mean, I wrote the book so that people would have that because we didn't have the Alberta Prosperity Pro Project at the time. So I wrote the book to give people sort of a, a toolbox of information so that they could look at the history and they could go through it and they could have some arguments to put out there. And all of that came out of the, the Wexit movement and sort of that, um, the detractors 
fed as much as those who supported it because it gave us an idea of the holes, what was missing and how come it, it couldn't just be a matter of just pulling the plug and going, okay, we're done because that's not going to work. You have to have enough people. And, and um, I've talked to Paul Hinman quite a few times about this as well. People aren't, they don't know what's out there. They don't know um, how this is all going to fit together. And so that is something that Wexit really shone a light on to is you can be angry, but until you have a plan, there's nothing that you can do. And people need to come together. They need to put together a decent plan with a vision for the future so that people have a place to go to, that they can see that this isn't going to be scary, that there is a possibility of doing these things. And it all starts with pulling back the powers, the provincial powers out of the hands of Ottawa and making sure that we're doing as much as we can for ourselves so that we're standing on our own two feet so that it becomes, and, and that also gives us leverage because the more that we're taking back our own power, like in any good relationship, if you're holding on to your power, that means that you have leverage. So now you have the ability to say, no, I'm not happy with this. And if you keep treating me like this, I'm going to leave. And that's, that's what really Wexit brought out. So, I mean, it's good that it happened. It's unfortunate that it didn't have that plan, but at least now we know what was missing from the mix and that yes. there are a lot of people that aren't being reached. So, you know, you can be in a, in a really terrible or abusive relationship and you can be really angry or really, really upset and really want to leave. But when you start thinking about doing it, there's a million questions that come up. Where am I going to go? What am I going to drive? What, where, what am I going to do with the kids? What's going to happen to this? And the fear of the unknown overtakes your common sense, which tells you to get the hell out. And you stay in an abusive relationship, not because it's the right thing to do or because it's best for you or because common sense tells you so. It's because you're scared of not knowing what's going to happen. And that's where the Alberta Prosperity Project, that's where we step in. Because all of these questions... There hasn't been one question people have asked that I haven't heard answered in a way that gives me hope for, for a better future. We're going to do one of two things. We're either going to work together um, towards a, a positive future where we're free and prosperous, or we don't. There's only two choices. There's, there's two forks in the road, and we're going to take one or the other. I want to take the former rather than the latter, of course. And uh, I, I think that if we continue to do these things, and even folks like you, you continue to write and do columns and explain to people, you know, how this can be done and why we should do it, we can get on the on that proper path. I know we can. And also having, like, if we come together so that we can make sure, well, there's two things. Whenever it comes to Danielle Smith, I mean, she is our hope right now. And there are two things with that. We need to be able to, to a certain degree, support and protect her from the absolute horrible things that will be coming at her because, I mean, it's already happening. I was in um, Ontario for a while and people there have called Danielle Smith the crazy lady from Alberta. I mean, they're already, the knives are already out. So we need to be yeah. able to protect and support her and keep the pressure on her to continue doing the things that she said that she's going to do, like the provincial police force, like trying to negotiate between um, Saskatchewan 
and Manitoba getting that, um, like figuring out something so that we can get to Churchill so that we can get our products to market without having to go through BC and all of that craziness that um, we're subjected to. There are ways that we can work together so that we can make sure that, that politicians are being held to account. And in Alberta, we're very good at doing that historically. So we need to continue doing that, but we also are going to need to protect our politicians, which is something that nobody has had to do in any other province, I don't think. You know, the knives are out. The knives were out for Ralph Klein whenever he was in power. And they're going to be out for Danielle Smith if she does those things that we want her to do. And we have to make sure that she does. Absolutely. So I'm going to disagree with you on one point. I don't believe that Danielle Smith is our hope. I 100% I, I fully support her and I love what she's doing. But I, I've said this from the start and I'll say it. I'll continue. The hope is in us. It's not going to be Daniel Smith or the United Conservative Party or probably any politician that puts a referendum on the table. I really don't. Um, I don't think the UCP is even allowed to talk about it. I think it's party policy. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's going to be the people, right? And what you said about supporting Daniel Smith and what she's doing is so important. That's what she's doing is, like you said, she's trying to take our sovereign jurisdiction in each of those areas back. We should do it. We overfund the CPP by $3 billion a year. Why in the world would we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to have our own Alberta pension plan that's managed by Albertans, invested properly so that it grows and can, and can accommodate an aging population, and, and keeps $3 billion in pensioners' pockets? Like, Why would Alberta not want to do that? What I think is going to happen, she's going to do as many of these things as she can, and the reality is she won't be able to do it all because she won't, maybe the party won't support it. I don't know. And the federal government at some point is going to find ways to stick their sticky little fingers into our sovereign jurisdiction and take it away from us, just like they did with our resource extraction and development via climate change, right? So we should be working towards all of these things that you mentioned, um, pension, policing, uh, tax collection, uh, EI, all of our uh, social entitlements, that kind of thing. We shouldn't be managing them. But at the same time, we have to be working towards a permanent solution, which is either leverage from a referendum on independence or independence. Because, you know, now if you're, if you have, uh, if you say something racist, you're contributing, contributing to climate change. And they'll use that and, and, take away our provincial juris our jurisdictions. Well, I mean, they're already doing that in so many different ways. Uh, it's been over, since Trudeau came into power, it has been attack after attack after attack. You you look at just the, um, the carbon tax alone and how directed that was towards Alberta. And, and what a lot of people don't know is Alberta actually had the first carbon tax, but it was instituted differently. It was against the major contributors to carbon. It wasn't um, taken out on the people of Alberta. And, and what I mean by like Daniel Smith being our hope is that she is our instrument to get these things done. We can't do it as, as a people on our own, like even as a group, we still need a politician to put those things into place, but it takes us 
to put the pressure, and that's why I was talking about the pressure, keeping the pressure on her to do the things that we want her to do. I see your point. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm going to answer this question really quick. It says, hi, everyone. I've been out of the loop for a while. Where are we with negotiations with Saskatchewan Manitoba on separation? So the Alberta Prosperity Project, we have laid out a clear constitutional path to independence. Now, there isn't anything in the Constitution that says three provinces can just decide to form a, uh, their own country. That's not the way it works. Under the Constitution, each province is responsible for negotiating their relationship with Ottawa within Confederation. So if a province says, we don't like these terms, either uh, fix them or we're leaving, they have to stand alone and do that. Each province has to stand alone and do that. After the fact, then three provinces, of course, could negotiate and through referendum um, and democracy, they could agree to join and become a new type of confederation. But there is no, there's no mechanism within the constitution to have negotiations with three provinces to, to do that sort of thing. It's an individual province by individual province thing. So I hope that answers the question. Did you see any However, questions come up? Can you see the comments on your screen? I can't, no. <laughs> so on your right side of the screen, it should say private chat and comments. If you click on the comments, you can actually see them scroll by, I believe. And the reason I said that is because if you see a question that uh, you think you want to answer, then go ahead and, and just have at her. Well, I was thinking just on that last one that um, there, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having the negotiations in such a way that should one of the provinces decide to hold a referendum that all three couldn't do it at the same time, which would be, you know, leverage unto itself. Absolutely. That would be interesting. Yeah. And, and that, that's very valid. I mean, if, if there's two provinces that have rumblings of um, wishing to be free of Ottawa, that they, they're legitimizing each other. You know, they're standing back to back and saying, you know what, We're, it's not just one of us standing up, now there's two of us. And that's a that's a big deal. So um, some of the things that I've seen Scott Moe say, I, I love what he's saying. Like, Trudeau, if you want our coal, come and get it. You know, <laughs> that's, we need more people standing up to Ottawa. And out of all of the, uh, the can the candidates, you know, I, I think Danielle Smith, she probably ha is been, has been doing it best. And in a, actually in an elegant way, not just in an angry shouting at the at Ottawa way, but she's like, no, I, I'm going to take care of this province. And, and this is what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, well, come get me just like Scott Moe is. Yeah. I'd actually go out on a limb and say that uh, Danielle Smith has way bigger balls than Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You know, every time he gets scared, he gets COVID and given. goes and hides. Am I allowed to say that on TV? I think so. <laughs> we'll go with it. It works for me. And yeah, I mean, that's every time he's gotten in trouble, all of a sudden he's, con you know, it's like he gets in trouble and um, suddenly he has COVID. Yeah. It's convenient. <laughs> Very convenient. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would say for sure that Daniel Smith has bigger... Um, Cajones. Particular bit. Yeah, Cajones <laughs> compared to Justin Trudeau. I I think it's a given. I mean, 
it's it's really really sad. I I, th I would say that she has bigger ones than Scott Moe even because I've heard from Saskatchewanites who have said that you know if Daniel they were watching the election with bated breath because they're like if Danielle Smith doesn't get in Scott Moe will fold like a cheap shirt. He and probably so, would. Yeah, but and, and that's like the we thing. said, They've they all legitimize each other. Mm -hmm. They give each other strength, and that's important. And and that's the thing; it's strength in numbers. Um, and there's something that it's sort of um, not an overly well-known thing, but in the 1995 referendum, whenever Quebec was getting ready to separate, if that had have come down as a yes, they're separating vote, Roy Romano in Saskatchewan had stuff ready to go so that there would be a referendum held in Saskatchewan to separate. Really? So, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> there was so, a few different things that he was ready to do, but that was one of them. This goes to show, folks, if you ever feel like, you know, say that say you look at the scope of Canada and you think, man, you know, this isn't the Canada that it's supposed to be. Why do we have to do these things? You're not alone. This isn't and this isn't a fringe thing. This is a this is a big idea in a lot of places standing up and saying, no, I'm not going there. It's not this is not a small fringe minority and you're not alone or crazy for thinking that we need to get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, your, your feelings are absolutely justified and there is something you can do about it. And the something is much bigger than just joining a Facebook page and saying, oh, I'm so mad at Ottawa. The something you can do is get involved, for instance, with the Alberta Prosperity Project, get your membership and it's not about the $20 or whatever it is. It, I mean, that helps, of course, because this stuff costs money. It's more about building that number so that people know they're not alone and they're not crazy. About building a database of people who are independence-minded, who would love to see a refer referendum on the table, so that once we're ready to do it, we have the capability to do it. So there is actually something you can do. And unfortunately, like, uh, you know, all good things, it's not gonna be easy and it's not going to be quick. But if we have patience and we do things right, um, we can do it. And that reminds me, I don't know why I wrote this down, but I wrote down, present ourselves uh, early on in our conversation. And I think it had something to do with the, the East and liberals, they're so scared of conservatives. You mentioned that. I never thought of that. I never thought of that as a reason why somebody would vote for Trudeau, that they're actually so scared of conservatives. You know, they're going to sell our hospitals. They're going to send all of the people who aren't white to, to different countries. Like conservatives are going to do all these crazy things, right? Yeah, and so the maybe, they're going to go to jail because, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they're not. I didn't say that as meaning like, yes, that's going to happen. I meant that <laughs> that's one of the things that people believe. That's or, the myth that's out there. Or, and you can tell them, you can tell them that it was under Stephen Harper that gay marriage was made legal and they won't believe you or they'll think it was some kind of bizarre anomaly that he had made a mistake. It's like, no, he did this. Like, yeah. why can't you accept that? Absolutely. And it, it's because people have these pre-formed biases and as they're viewing other people, those biases cloud what they're seeing. They, they affect the reality that they're, that they're seeing. So I would say another thing we can do is we can present ourselves a little bit differently as conservatives. We can present our messaging in a way where, you know, we're not condemning other people or we're not, you know, we're not 
telling people that they shouldn't live their life a certain way. We're just saying, no, you know, this is the way we want to do things. If you don't want to do things this way, whatever, that's your choice as a free country. If we present ourselves differently, maybe we can change it so that those people in the East aren't scared of conservatives anymore. You know, oh, we elected a conservative government. They're going to kill all the trans people. Well, where the heck did that idea ever come from? It's all lies. It is. But we can fix it. I've tried to figure out where that's all coming from, and I haven't been able to figure it out. But it, it is somewhere in the zeitgeist that on the left, predominantly, they're fed so many lies. And there's so many rumors circulating within it that they can't see what's actually going on around them. They only seem to hold on to these weird myths that have come out of who knows where. I mean, it's the same as <clears throat> the women's vote that movement was started in Western Canada through the famous five. Then you have, um, they, they keep calling Western Canada racist, but John Ware was the first, uh, he, he was um, a black man who came from the United States and came to Canada for freedom and became a very well-known rancher and cowboy property owner in Alberta. I mean, these are the things, Tommy Douglas, that's where universal healthcare, that prized thing came from. It was somebody out of the West. There are so many great things that have come from Western Canada that would be considered progressive. And yet the East can't even fathom that that's where these things come from. They keep thinking it comes from them, of course, because they're the most progressive in this country, but they're not. They're not. And if you're watching and you're from the East, I want to remind you of something that is probably the most important thing you're going to hear tonight. Alberta invented the Caesar. You're welcome. <laughs> and so many other great things. <laughs> so many and I mean, I, I love the whole country. I've been right across this country. I think it's wonderful. And if it was actually managed properly and fairly, this country would be unstoppable. It would be amazing. The problem is that we have those that we have put into power that are supposed to be managing this place and they have done it poorly for now over a hundred years. Yeah, and they scream equity and convince people to hate other people because they're different than them. That's what's happening in politics right now is they are dividing people more than they ever have before. A good leader should be unifying the country. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, when that convoy rolled across Canada, he had the opportunity to have the most amazing legacy of any prime minister had he used that to unify the national voice but he didn't he chose he chose to go a different path he, he um, chose division and he has done that whenever it came to the the covid crisis when it first started to evolve into something he had an opportunity to bring this country together and so did the cbc and yeah. both in conjunction behaved so absolutely deplorably, it sickens me that they, they would be that divisive. And they have continued that. And that convoy, which was a beautiful thing, because I was there, I was on the ground in Ottawa. It was one, it was a Wednesday morning that I was there. And I saw so many people, they were absolutely amazing. They were coming together in this beautiful very canadian way of partying in the street and just yeah. hanging out with each other it was yeah. incredible there, there were quebecers and albertans and saskatchewanites and newfoundlanders and you name it right across this country there were native people Sikh people you like everybody was there 
And instead of seeing that as a, a beautiful opportunity to bring the country together, our government chose to divide us and call names and be absolutely reprehensible. And it, it just continues because you can see the absolute disgust that Trudeau has for the citizens of this country whenever he continues to separate, divide, point at the most ludicrous things, lie constantly. It's just, it, it's mind blowing how bad it is. Somebody put up a question, how do we eliminate the World Economic Forum's influence in Alberta? Rachel Notley and many other politicians are WEF puppets. I actually don't believe the WEF puppets. I believe they subscribe to the ideology and the beliefs that the WEF is pushing on the world. I don't believe that they're puppets per se. I believe they're, well, I guess they're puppets to that ideology. To answer the question, then the first thing we do to eliminate the WEF's anti-human ideology from Alberta is we take control of each and everything that the Constitution gives us the right to do so. All of those things. We manage our pension ourselves. We take care of employment insurance. We collect our own taxes. We have our own police force that swears an oath to the people of Alberta. You know, there's lots of things that we can do and forbid um, globalist entities from infiltrating those groups. That's number one. If the rest of the country wants to go and follow the WEF, which by the way, we now have a uh, global health pass that's being adopted in parts of the world. Thank you to the WHO and the WEF for that one. We have to stand up for ourselves and say we're not going there. And in order to do that, we have to educate each and every Albertan as to the merits of independence, the necessity, and how we get it done and what happens after. And then we do it. That's what we have to do to eliminate that. I think another thing is that we have to focus on ourselves and how we're conducting ourselves in the world and start looking at our families and our communities and making them the hub of what we're doing so that that builds um, the relationships necessary to support each other so that we can stand up against these things. We need to bring, we, we need to get off the phones and, and start getting back into those community halls and those community groups, because that's going to build um, that sense of power because it starts with small groups getting together and saying, okay, enough, you know, we're, we're just not going to do this anymore. And what can we do in our communities to make our communities better? and take that control back, just one person at a time, one community at a time, it's gonna make a big difference in the long run. I agree, I absolutely agree. And another thing we have to do, now this is gonna be very controversial, but I've been told I'm very controversial. We have to really understand what freedom means. So freedom in this country means that you are free to screw up your children, right? And I, I don't mean that people should be doing that, but I mean, if a family has certain beliefs and ideologies that bring their children up to be non-productive members of society with mental health issues and all sorts of things, the very unfortunate part about freedom is that they're free to do that. If a family wants to raise their children as uh, to, to believe in the sacrifice Jesus made to save people from their sins, they are free to do that. Here's the controversial part. If parents want to take their children to a library and have drag queens read stories to them, and I'm talking about not like exposing themselves and things, they're free to do that. And one of the things conservatives, I think, are failing at these days is we are failing to recognize that freedom is a double-edged sword. 
And we can't expect to get freedom when we're not giving people the freedom to raise their children the way they want. And this, I just use that as an example because it's the most controversial thing I can think of. But there's lots of other examples uh, like that where we believe that we should be free but stop people from doing certain things because we don't like it. And we have to stop doing that and focus on real solutions and be able to live and let live. And I, I know it sucks. It's hard. It's a hard thing to even say, but that's the reality of freedom is uh, it's not all roses. Well, and that goes back to the freedom of speech, which, which was a big reason why I started speaking out in the first place was because as someone who is creative, I, I've been involved in um, theater and writing and all of those kinds of things. And if you can't tell a story, if you can't discuss things, which is what they're trying to prevent us from doing now, and they have been for right. some time, then you can't grow, you can't evolve ideas. Part of the problem right now is that the left and the right refuse to speak to each other. Well, yes. not so much the right, but the, the left definitely won't discuss things. They won't even hear you. And so there's no way of evolving. There's no way of solving these problems if you can't work on a solution together that's going to be fair and equal for everyone. So we need to be able to discuss issues. We need to be able to talk. And even if you don't like what another person has to say, if you don't agree with them, that's okay. But at least hear them out because you might find something that can nuance your own ideas or help your own ideas. That's how we grow and become better. That is, I, I mean, for me personally, I'm actually more of a classical liberal. Me too. And in this country and these days, that means conservative because the liberals are no longer liberal. They haven't been for a long time. And part of classical liberal values is to open up the playing field so that everybody gets a chance to play and gets a chance to speak. And, and some people will get hurt. Some people yeah, will exactly. fail. Others will succeed. And that's the part of freedom that people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we are at uh, 59 minutes and seven seconds and counting. So what do you figure, I guess, Walter, if you see any questions back there, pop them up on the screen. We'll answer them as best we can. There was something else I wanted to mention. I've totally forgotten. Ah, yes. Um, ah, June 17th, we have an Alberta Prosperity Project event in person in Bowdoin, Alberta. Um, this little restaurant called the Whistle Stop Cafe is catering the event with barbecue beef on a bun. Oh, look at that. They've got me speaking. Interesting. So we're going to have some speakers, including Dr. Dennis Muldry, uh, Mr. Jeff Rath, Mr. Christopher Scott, that's me, uh, Mr. Leighton Gray, Michael Wagner, and Mr. Corey Morgan from the Western Standard. It's going to be a great evening. I believe that we are, if we're not sold out now, we're going to be sold out pretty quick for in-person tickets. But there's also virtual tickets available. As you can see on your screen, it says virtual tickets now available. Uh, scan the little UPC code there. Yeah. It's hard for me to say that after the last three years. Just scan this QR code here to go to the page. Anywho, scan that. You can get virtual tickets. And uh, by getting a virtual ticket, you're not only going to uh, get to watch some probably great speakers, except for the guy in the top right. Um, you're also going to be supporting the Alberta Prosperity Project and the work that we're trying to do to accomplish the goals that we've laid out uh, in this webinar and other webinars. They're very, the bar is set very high. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. 
and the APP really needs all the support it can get to get this work done in order to make some solutions happen. So what do you think about uh, this type of thing? Do you think this is going to make a difference to Alberta doing these events and, uh, and, and bringing this education about freedom through freedom, prosperity through independence to Albertans? Well, here's the thing that I know. Whenever the Reform Party was forming, it was a lot of these kinds of events. And, and there's stories about, I think Corey Morgan talks about it in his book, actually, where they would pass around the KFC bucket to get donations. And that's what is going to be needed. It's got to be grassroots. It's got to be communities uh, and these kinds of community events happening all over Alberta, all over the West, so that people can be educated. They can be told about these things and that they can then lend their support to making sure that these things happen. I think it's the only way at this point. I mean, social media is great in a lot of ways, but with the censorship that's happening there, it's going to have to be like the, the old-fashioned, you know, smoke signals or um, <laughs> the old telegraph system, whatever you have to do. But the message has to get out somewhere, and these kinds of events, I think, are going to be incredibly useful and powerful moving forward. I completely agree. And I would even go so far as to say that <clears throat> we're not just looking for a, this isn't a, a revolution or a reform that we're, that we need. What we need is a revival. We need to revive pro-human thinking. We need to revive common sense and, and the idea that human beings should flourish. It, it has to be a revival. And uh, this kind of goes into the next question I'm going to read. Sonia asks, why are we using digital? So this whole concept of digital everything is somewhat scary. And part of the reason why it's scary is because we don't know how it's going to go. And there's the fear of the unknown. The world is going digital. Uh, there's, no, there's no getting away from that. I mean, 10 years ago, I was thrilled that I could web bank. I was thrilled that I could use my ATM card. When TAP came along, I was so happy about that. I was so happy that they had the Alberta digital ID, which is used for things like registry things and and uh, finding your health records and stuff. I loved it because it's convenient. The digital world offers a wealth of convenience and information that is otherwise not possible. So the world's going digital. I think we should, should stop focusing on stopping it going digital and we should start focusing on how are we going to put protections in place and mechanisms in place to prevent individuals and individual freedoms from being affected by governments using digital platforms. And because one of the, the first printing... things that we have to do is, is to take ownership of our digital identity as if it were yes. an extension of ourselves like an organ of our body. We must have that in our own ownership and have the choice of what happens to that digital ID. That is going to be primary, and there's going to have to be some laws written to ensure that that digital ID or, or that digital identity has the same kind of human rights as we do as, as humans, but ones that, you know, are actually enforced and recognized and accepted, unlike, you know, the value of a human being these days. Right, which uh, some people don't believe there is in any value. That's, that's the difference, I think, is uh, some of us believe in pro-human ideologies, and some of us are being brainwashed into believing in anti-human agendas. So what I was saying about the digital world, people were freaked out when the printing press came. People were freaked out when the radio came. 
people were freaked out with television. As a matter of fact, uh, the radio was responsible for one of the biggest scares in U.S. history, which was uh, alien invasion. You know, it was War a satire. Yeah, War of the Worlds. It was a satire thing. And the ra- people believed the radio, and then they believed the TV, and then they believed the Internet, and then they believed Facebook. So all of these things happen, as tech- and as technology uh, expands and evolves, there's always fear because we don't know what's going to happen. And that's why it's so important that we have potentially an independent Alberta that puts individual rights and freedoms at the top priority so that all of that other stuff uh, can't be used to oppress and tyrannize. If we can't do that, the world will go digital and there's always going to be the chance that that system can be used to enslave people, which, you know, I think it's probably going to be used to enslave people anyway, but doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Uh, Any more questions, Walter? I was kind of scrolling through. I didn't see any more question marks at the beginning. Oh, hi, Murray. Nice to have you watching tonight. Murray's 122 years old, and he's one of the, he's a really uh, strong freedom fighting fella in Alberta. I've had the pleasure of having him in my cafe uh, on multiple occasions. Well, I think that's it for questions. If you have any more questions, post them in the comments after or whatever, and somebody will do their best to respond. Uh, You can also visit www.albertaprosperityproject.com, and you can find a list of questions and answers there. In addition, I believe you can post questions. Can you still do that, Walter? I haven't been there in a bit. But anyway, check out the website. It's a, a great place to find information. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of the Alberta Prosperity Project. Please consider throwing a few bucks in the KFC bucket in order to keep this work going. Um, even just having a database of members, believe it or not, is like hundreds and creeping up to thousands of dollars a month. So nothing is free in this world, including freedom. So let's do our best to, uh, to make it. And, and there is to that end, I just wanted to mention that um, in the marketing world, they say the money's in the list, but in this case, the power's in the list. The more access you have to people's contact information, it means the more that you can do. It gives you a lot of freedom and and a greater ability to um, organize people to be able to do events like um, the the event in Bowdoin and others just like it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Now, if people want to support you and the work you're doing, where can they find you? How can they uh, get you some cash or buy a book or one of those things or maybe all of them? Well, I think the link to the book is going to be in uh, the show notes, I believe. But you can find it that. on Amazon. Okay. Um, you can find it on Amazon and I'm all over social media. Just look for Jillian Davis and that's Jillian with a G. <laughs> and uh, I'll be there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy a couple of copies of the book for my restaurant. And uh, we need books there because when I'm the waitress, uh, it takes so long for people to get their food. They can finish a book or two. So perfect. And it's a short book. It's an easy read. It's kind of fun. I wrote it like a relationship has gone bad. So it's kind of got that romancey feel to it, but a bad romance. (laughs) Well, we do have a bad romance with Ottawa, don't we? Exactly. That's why I wrote it the way I did. (laughs) I get it. Well, folks, uh, that wraps up our 
webinar, Wexit, The Reluctant Rebellion with Jillian Davis. So thank you very much, Jillian, for joining us tonight. And thank for those of you out there, my pleasure, and I'm sure our pleasure. For those of you out there uh, wondering what we're going to do, we need to make this rebellion against a oppressive and ridiculously non-law-abiding Canada. We need to make this rebellion not so reluctant. We have to do everything we can to get the truth out to people, whether it's through education or whatever, um, so that we can remove that reluctance. We need to present ourselves as independence-minded Albertans in such a way that it doesn't put up barriers, it brings them down. So there are lots of things we can do every day to, to get this done together. And uh, as an organization, the Alberta Prosperity Project will continue to pursue freedom through independence and uh, do everything we can to make Alberta a better place. Thank you very much. Thank you.